the I Love Gay Palm Springs podcast with John Taylor and Shan Carr. And we're back together again. We got the band back together for episode 54 of the I Love Gay Palm Springs podcast. I feel like Tom Bergeron on the old Hollywood square. Hello, stars. Hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I missed you. Yeah, we've we got Shankar, comedian extraordinaire and community activist and all-around awesome gal. And, of course, Jimmy Bogle, the publer of the CV Independent right there. You can actually pick it up at a location near you or check it out online, cvindependent.com. Sign up for the newsletter. we got Brad Furr, who is your gay desert guide Sherpa of all things gay. But he is out of the desert and up north. We'll find out about that. And, of course, we are joined once again by Dr. Laura Rush, who has probably got a lot to say today. It's been a week, man. It has been a week. It's been two weeks. Yeah. So, yeah, we're in a, our, our, we're kind of back to lockdown and we're all, we're all staying home and washing our hands and wearing our masks. So we're back to being closed down again. And I think we mentioned this two weeks ago that this is where we're heading. And I sort of had a heads up that this is what the governor was going to do. And this is exactly what, what happened. Uh, people just can't follow directions. This is why we are where we are. Forgive me. Is there a specific shelter in place order again, or are we just, things are closed again? It's not a shelter in place. It's just things okay. are closing down. So you, you can still go out and about and do the things you need to do, the grocery stores, doctor's appointments, things like that. But that's um, what we were doing in shelter in place, which is my point, which is what is the specific directive, even for those of us who are actually like, what's the difference between what we're doing and only going out for essential stuff and shelter in place? Shelter in place, they really wanted you just to be staying home and only going out if absolutely necessary. So right now they're closing down things that are giving people highest risk of contracting COVID virus. So bars, things that make you go chew. Right. So things that are not necessarily necessary, right? Restaurants, gyms, bars, clubs, things of that nature. It's not going to be for long term. It's not going to be this indefinite amount of time where we're, you know, it's just going to go on all summer long. I anticipate this is going to be two to three weeks tops until we kind of let things die down a little bit. We are getting hammered out here. And it's disappointing because we had been doing such a great job of keeping that curve flat here in Coachella Valley. And my two cents is that, you know, we opened up. We opened up too soon and they opened up the restaurants, they opened up the bars, and I understand why. They opened up the hotels. We had an influx of visitors from out of town. We got an influx of a virus that's out here now. I'm personally, I'm slammed. I'm slammed. I am having to work extra shifts for the first time in a long time. I'm seeing about 30 patients a day. More than half of these patients are COVID positive patients. Not just I'm scared, I'm worried, you know, I want to talk to you about it. They're actually, they're sick. They have symptoms. I've got a couple of patients in the hospital. I, you know, I've mentioned on my own personal Facebook page, I've lost a couple of patients. Yeah. Um, I've got a, a dear friend of mine from the medical uh, industry who is currently in the ICU and sedated and intubated. And I'm not sure she's going to make it. Because is it, you have like a, once you're intubated, the percentage of people getting out of intubation was not amazing. It's low. It's it's not a great place to go. Yeah. So obviously you don't want to have to be on a ventilator. So that being said, we're we're not at the point in like they were in New York City when they were running out of ventilators. That's not a problem for us out here. We have plenty of vents. We just don't have a lot of ICU beds. So those are what's filling up. So, Dr. Rush, is, is what we're doing enough? We, we're actually really honestly not shut down. Outdoor restaurant dining is still open. Retail is still open. Right. Um, a lot of things are still open. Hotels and short-term rentals are still open. Right. And short-term rentals anywhere, are blowing up. This like, is not anywhere near the type of shutdown we had in March and April. Is no. this enough? No, I don't think it is. I, I think this is sort of a half-assed attempt to meet somewhere in the middle to say, okay, let's, we can't shut everything down. People are going to protest and scream and yell and complain again. We can't even get people to wear masks right now. But if we went to a full-on lockdown shelter in place where you can't go out and you're not going anywhere, people would lose their minds right now, especially during the summer. No one wants to, to do that 
again. It was hard enough the first time. I'm hoping, I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed that this is enough for right now. I don't think it is. That they're saying wear a mask, if everyone can wear a mask for two to three weeks, then we'll reduce the chances of those, the virus spreading. You know, there's an adage that says, if people stop moving, the virus stops moving, which is true. It doesn't move on its own. It, it's not an animal or a human. It needs a vector to go from one victim, so to speak, to the next. So if people were to stay home, not go out so much, we're gonna have less chance of this thing spreading. And so just by saying wearing a mask and closing down indoor dining again, and bars, gyms, hair salons, nail salons, I think is a half-assed attempt to get this thing, to rein this thing in. Well, we can only see where we're gonna be in two to three weeks. And, and that's the best I can offer. This feels like what you would do, what we're doing now feels like what you would do as a maintenance level. Once you have, right. once there isn't rise, I feel like that's how we're going to have to live until the vaccine gets here. And so we really do need to go a step further now. And then this level with outdoor dining is where we wait. If things People are, are frustrated, the businesses are frustrated because a lot of them were doing the right thing. <laughs> they were wearing masks. Yeah. They were allowing only very few people into their businesses at a time. But, you know, there were some restaurants that just were not doing the right thing. I was walking down Palm Canyon Drive and there were restaurants yeah. open with outdoor seating, patio seating with their misters blowing and people having to walk in the street to get around the stuff on the sidewalks and crowds, you know, gathering around tables. I'm like, this is insane. This is not helpful just because you're pushing people outside does not mean this is a safe social distance. So we, there was a half-assed attempt when they reopened everything, and now we're doing a half-assed attempt to limit exposure. I, I think mm. if we really wanted to get rid of this thing, we would have to go back down to where we are sheltering in place and give it two to three weeks and let this thing die down. But now we're gonna open and close and people are frustrated. This thing is gonna be with us a lot longer I initially had said, you know, we'll be back to normal by June, July. We're going to be with this thing for the rest of the year now. Yeah. It's just, that's just how it is. We're going to be so with So New York, the New York did it right, correct? They, they, the, the whole thing of the tri-state area now is pretty much flat, down to almost to very few cases. And right. so that example is truly one that the rest of the country should be looking at for how you do it right. They were, you know, Cuomo was getting a lot of grief and de Blasio is still getting, they're still getting a lot of grief for how they were handling yeah. it, but they're doing much better considering they were like the epicenter of this. And, you know, my folks live in Connecticut and they're like, no, things are pretty much, I mean, people are wearing masks and people are, are doing the right thing, but it's, they're not living in that fear anymore that, you know, they're going to go out and get sick. They're doing okay. So, you know, it's like, we have to be going back to square one and it's not, we're taking a few baby steps back, but. You know, I personally, I'm, I'm staying in, I'm going to go to work and then I'm staying in. You know, I just, I don't want to be risking exposure at this point. It's, there's a lot of it out here. It's, with, you know, you can look at the numbers from what the county is putting out and it's showing that, like, you know, there's a decline in deaths, so to speak, but we're seeing an increase in these numbers. Yeah. I'm seeing a ton of patients that are sick. Eisenhower just had a call in FEMA to get yeah. some support. You know, so we're seeing a lot, and I think there is a lag in what's reported, and we'll see that bump probably in the next report. But I, I can just tell you with my own eyes what I'm seeing, and I'm seeing a lot of it, and I'm seeing some really sick people. With well, your own eyes, you're, are, what's the age groups, uh, or has there been a change in the age groups of people being hospitalized? Um, with my patients, they're between the 40s, uh, 50s, and 60s. Um, some of my patients that are really the ones that are ending up in, you know, dying or older. My, I've had a couple of patients die from this that were older um, in their 70s, but my patients that are getting hospitalized mm. are in their 40s to 60s. Um, and that's the, the, the average age, I'd say, of somebody who's calling me for an appointment because they have symptoms and they're positive is in their 40s and 50s. And that's keeping in with what we're seeing across the country. Yeah. So I have had a couple, a, a small smattering of you know patients in their 20s, one teen, um, but I'm, I'm not seeing, I don't see children, so I'm not seeing kids. So, but I'm seeing a lot of it and it's, it's been all day this whole week. So I think that 
the point that most of us have gotten to is that there is a bubble of four or five people that you are interacting with. Even if, if you have a family, it's your family. And if you don't, it's the few people that you interact with. And uh, so for me, it has been four people I barely know, uh, sort of the water aerobics group. And I think everybody's having a brush with COVID is starting to come into even their, a, a near brush with their circle. So one of the five of uh, us, who are all at five corners of the pool still. One of their dads just died this week. And uh, water aerobics is off again, even at a distance, even no matter how you're bubbling, you know. That was, that was kind of like my point earlier. I was like, we're not, we're not going to a full lockdown. But personally, I, I would be making those choices myself to say I'm going to stay away from all of the outdoor stuff and, and going to where, you know, going to restaurants. And I had been to the restaurant a couple of times you know, since we reopened, I'm avoiding it now. You know, I, I'll go to the yeah. beach, but I'm going to a beach where there's nobody near me for a hundred yards. And because I, I just don't want to be near anybody. I'm getting enough exposure at work. And you're right. Circles, individual circles of people are now saying, I've got this person, I've got that employee. I've got a friend of mine who owns a business and she's got That's a couple it. of employees that have now tested positive and they have to consider closing down their business and shutting down their business. Or, or I think it's the only... I think it's the only way everybody's going to get on board. There's just plenty of people who can under fully grasp pain that is not their own. Yeah. And it needs to penetrate their bubble a little bit there, you know? Well, that's all, you know, you it's see the happening. report saying, I didn't think this was going to happen to me. I didn't yeah. think this was going to happen to my family. Yeah. And now people have, you know, loved ones on, on ventilators or in the hospital and it's terrifying. So we, it's, you know, we were safe out here for a while and it was like this big, massive boom. And now I, I mean, every single person I know has, is like one or two degrees away from someone who is very sick. Well, and you have a client, we have a mutual friend of the show who is in an RV that she could not cool down this, the two weeks ago, she has two kids and two dogs. And so she got in her car and plotted a path through states that were still green on mm. the map that were safe places, safe places to go. By the time she got to New Mexico, she couldn't stay overnight because she would then have to stay for 14 days. She drove for 19 hours to get out of that state where she had reservations and went to Pennsylvania, which had nothing when she yeah. got in her car and was blowing up by the time she got there. She is off on some island trying to you know, float alone with her children wow. away from humanity, but I don't know how anybody is out there traveling at all. It's chasing you. Yeah, I can't. Well, I can't go home. I I can't go back to the East Coast because then I'd be in a fourteen day quarantine. Yeah, mm -hmm. I canceled my trip home too. You, I mean, you know. Yeah, and I made a trip home last month uh, yeah. at the end of June. And had I, if I had it to do over, it's kind of like the cruise. I just got in at the end of everything. Right. If I had the, you know, if I if I would have, uh, you know, known now what I knew or known then what I know now, I probably wouldn't have done the cruise, and I probably wouldn't have gone back to Michigan. But, you know, both those choices happened and got through it okay Thank of course God. now i'm the only traveling but you know we we basically are sequestered up in northern california mm -hmm. uh in wine country at a house and there's people that we all know and uh we're together as a small group and that's how we're uh spending a week away from palm springs how are we doing on testing dr rush well they're opening up more sites um for testing i you know personally i'm testing like crazy so I've got patients asking me, you know, I, I, they're having symptoms and I'm testing. So I, again, you know, with Kaiser, we're limited with what we're testing. We're patients who are symptomatic or at risk and immune compromised. So, and, and Jimmy, thanks for that link too on, on the Rite Aid. Rite Aid is now testing, you know, across the country. I think here in Riverside, the closest one is, is actually in the city of Riverside. I don't know if the Rite Aid's here in Palm Springs. Uh, actually, DHS, Coachella, and Indio, I believe. There oh, are they three, are, okay. There are three Coachella Valley locations that are doing that. I had well, some was, but I skimmed it there quickly. Was, there was some other stuff in your uh, report last night. Are there a couple things you want to cover, Jimmy? Testing is, is bad right now. Um, Can you repeat that? nationwide You shortage. broke up. You broke Will up. you say it again? Testing is bad right now. There is a nationwide shortage of supplies and reagents. And the state, I believe it was yesterday, um, for a while they were saying, test everyone, test everyone, even if you're asymptomatic. 
now the state is actually backtracking and is saying that basically people who have, are at risk of exposure or have symptoms, those are the people who should be tested. San Bernardino County had to, I don't know if they still are, but they had to like cancel 60% of the tests they were giving because there is a shortage. Testing is in a bad place right now. And yeah. it's, I think the biggest, and this is a big thing to say, it's the biggest thing that our federal government is screwed up on because that's the one thing the federal well, government should have done is made sure that they were hiring people or using the Defense Act to basically make sure we had enough supplies, we had enough swabs, we had enough yeah. chemicals, and they yep. haven't done that. And as a result, we're in a world of hurt right now. And to contact tracing. Go ahead. And so we're back to where we were, you know, a few months ago with the testing. Like again, for me with Kaiser, I'm limited with whom I am testing. I'm not just, you know, people just say, hey, I want to test. That's I'm telling them, well, you have to call the county. And so it was, you know, good. I'll tell my patients, you know, write aid if you can, but please, you don't need to go and get tested every single week. And I think there were some people that were, you know, they were concerned and they were going and getting frequently getting tested. So if your symptoms are, if you, if you're symptomatic or if you have a high risk of exposure or you think you've been exposed, then I would say, you know, you could call your doctor and ask them if they think it's smart for you to get tested and let them tell you. But we are running out of resources from the general population. I've, I personally have been limited with who I can <clears throat> test since day one, but we've always been limited with who we can test. There haven't been a, an exorbitant amount of test kits available in general since the beginning of this pandemic. How are you doing on PPP? I mean, how are you doing on PPE? <laughs> PPE. Um, they're, they're, we're, we're, we're not hurting, so we're not out of it. We have enough, but they are conservative with what they use. So they are getting, um, the staff is getting their N95 masks. They are having to be cleaned and sanitized if they are getting used. Um, we're taking turns. The way we're handling it is taking turns who's seeing patients who isn't. So I'm not seeing patients every single day, but when I do see patients, I do have to gear up. And so at this point, I'm seeing patients probably two days a week and not five. So we're, we're taking turns and that sort of limits, you know, if every doctor was seeing patients every single day, we'd be going through a hell of a lot more and having higher risk yeah. of exposure. So we're taking some measures to make sure that we, you know, we keep things at, at a decent level. We're not in panic mode. There are some places that are hurting for PPE. Um, you, you know, you got to start seeing it in the hospitals as they're being overrun with COVID patients and they're going to be having staff hire, you know, staff coming in and out and having to change it. The, the more people we have with COVID, the more people that are hospitalized in an ICU, the more we're going to go through the PPE because it's not something that can be used over and over again. This is yeah. the stuff that's going to have to get incinerated. So is anybody, um, I mean, Contact tracing isn't happening so far in my experience of anybody in this county who has had uh, COVID has not been contacted by any contact tracers so far. Um, and I did write something on one page somewhere yeah. saying that, you know, there was no contact tracing in, in my case. I wasn't contacted or anything like that. Um, yeah. And nor was the guy who we were exposed to. But they said it's, you know, the county, the county's responsibility, and the county says it's the state's responsibility, and the state thinks it's a federal thing, and what is it? It's a good question. I haven't seen it either. I, I haven't had anybody tell me that they have been contacted by any organization that's doing contact yeah. tracing. Um, I know there were some changes that were made to the Apple iPhones that allow you to, you know, enable your device if they are going to put something on the phone to help with contact tracing. Um, and I know it was on my right. phone and that's the closest I've come to seeing anything is nobody has contacted me. Nobody has said, you know, you've come in contact with this patient who is sick, who right. has COVID, nothing. I know the county is hiring and they're trying to gear up and they were a little bit yeah. behind where they wanted to be, but you're right. I don't know. I know they've got, like it was like 170 people that they were trying to get right. for a county with, you know, 3.4 million people, of course. Right. But they, you're right. I have not heard of anyone who's gone through that. And so it's something. I lie. There is one person on my page who was a nurse and she was uh, contacted three weeks after exposure to uh, somebody. Three so, weeks. 
Three weeks, yes. Not really yeah. helpful. At that point, you wouldn't yeah, smell no. the virus. But I take it back. Somebody did express that she, she did say it wasn't terribly helpful, but she was contacted. <laughs> right. I was fully yeah. expecting that I would. I mean, like I said, I've had a lot of patients that I have tested and test, you know, that I've seen um, or that have been in the, in the building and have tested positive, and I haven't been contacted by anybody. So. Well, according to um, infectious disease expert and former game show host Chuck Woolery, <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. We will have a moment with one of our dear friends and yes. Chuck Woolery later yes. on in the show. I just wanted to give some smile. Thank you. Because this has been a, a rough one, and I knew we were just going to set your motor running and let you go because <laughs> you, you have been, you know, you've had a rough week. It's yeah. been a week. <laughs> no. Well, you know, I got blocked Thanks. by Chuck Woolery on uh, on on Twitter. <laughs> An honor. Oh, that wow. is a bragging rights, man. Wow. I, within moments, I I happened to go onto his Twitter feed to see what all this hullabaloo was about, and he had put something up there about everyone's lying and this and that. So, and it, it was like four seconds after he had posted it. So I left him a comment that that, that he was dangerously uninformed. And he was going to cause more harm than good. Well, and true. within like five minutes, I get this, you've been blocked. And I was like, yes. And even that, the next I day, he came out on Twitter and said that his son had tested positive. Oh, really? <laughs> did he? That oh, happened. how did yes. I miss the follow-up oh, yeah. yeah. that? The irony that of it all. It was the and instant I believe, karma. I, believe, I haven't verified this myself, but I've heard that he may have actually deleted his Twitter account after that. Oh. So this oh. is another cautionary tale of yeah. don't just... This is a serious thing. Speaking well, of Twitter, we've got Woolery. we've got a Twitter uh, hack going on as we yeah. speak with some some pretty big people. So maybe maybe his account was hacked by the Russians and, oh, and taken offline. No, no. I would use that excuse if I was him right now, though. That no, is a great. No. That's a great line. Well, a little later on, we're going to be joined by Terry Ray, a wonderful actor who was on Scrabble in the eighties. And had a very awkward gay moment. Yes. With Chuck oh Woolery. And it's rather precious. It'll be coming up on the I Love Gay Palm Springs podcast. Dr. Laura Rush, thank you for thank everything you. you do. And we want you to have a better week next week. Yeah. Oh, I'm, you know, from your mouth to God's ears. So, but I'm off. I got a, I got a full patient load today. So you guys, please be safe. Stay home this weekend. Suit up. Okay. Suit up. Sorry. I'll suit up. You guys stay home. Please be safe. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk soon. So we welcome back to our flaming microphones, uh, the founder, editor, and publisher of Coachella Valley Independent.com. It is Jimmy Bogle. And what do you got in the newsletter, which is must read material online? A lot, or in of, person? Um, a lot of really depressing news, but there's actually yeah. some good news as well. In the daily digest that we did yesterday on Wednesday, there was actually a lot of positive things going on in terms of the science. You know, people, there's a meme that's been going around on Facebook that drives me crazy. That's something along the lines of, well, that lockdown that we did back in March and April, it was worthless and we're back to square one. And even though we've completely screwed up the, the COVID numbers locally and in the state and nationwide, there, we've learned a lot in these four months. And, you know, there's a lot of new drugs that are coming out. A lot of progress has been made on the vaccines. A lot of the uh, early studies on the vaccines are coming back with really good positive results. So there's a lot of good news out there. And it's mostly on the science front that we're figuring out ways to, in the interim, battle this thing. There's no big cure-all yet, but right. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of drugs and there's a lot of new techniques and everything that are, that are helping people survive this and get less sick. Even though it obviously, given we're having record death numbers now, it's still a very deadly thing. Um, it's really the um, it's really the government that's that's been just a disaster when it comes to this in terms of contract tracing, contract tracing like we talked about earlier, yeah, and everything. But you know, there's there's it's not a completely hopeless situation. It's ugly right now, and it's going to be ugly at times. But if we take care of ourselves, um, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just unfortunately, it's a very very small light because it's a long tunnel. Well, Jimmy, there was a number of pieces of good news this week, and I thought that was, or you know, in the in the various digests I've been reading. So, yes, there are some positives out there, but certainly, um, one of the things that that always seems to be a little confusing is death rate versus infection rate. 
And there, there seems to be, you know, the government seems to be hanging their hat on the fact that the death rate has, has not increased significantly. But that really doesn't hold true anymore, does it? No, the death rate is actually starting to go up now. Now, granted, a, lot more, a lot more people are sick yeah. right now. Yeah. So as a result, you know, prob- probably they are right that because, A, younger people are getting sick, um, as opposed to the start of this when it was mostly a lot of nursing homes and a lot mm-hmm. of, of, of elderly people, and they are they have a lower death rate, and B, our, our treatments have gotten better. Yes, the death rate has gone down, but this is still a very deadly, deadly disease. Riverside County yesterday had the most number of reported deaths that we've had from this. So make no mistake, yes, the it's a little bit safer and it's a little bit better, but this is still a very deadly disease. And the other thing that the death rate doesn't take into account is the fact that so many people are getting very, very sick from this and are having long-term effects. I mean, young athletes that, you know, months and months later are still having problems breathing. And, you know, I mean, this is even a lot of people who technically, quote unquote, have recovered, have not recovered from this because this is such a weirdly insidious disease. I just saw a report that, Mouth rashes are now one of the new indications that you can have this. This is supposed to be a respiratory disease. And we're talking about like disfigured toes and mouth rashes. This is such a weird, new, awful disease that even if you aren't dying from it, you could have permanent effects from it. So it's not something you want to get. Thank you for summing up that nightmare that we're all living through. I mean, you know, we have to do it. That's why we're here. And yep. I really appreciate getting that newsletter. So yeah. Thanks, thank, you. thank you. Yeah. CVindependent.com is where you go to get it and uh, sign up for it. And of course you can pick up the Coachella Valley independent at uh, all sorts of locations around the Valley. And Jimmy, yes. you and I should also just let people know that we just, a, it's a small initiative, but because it's been uh, problematic to have, printed copies of magazines and publications out. You and I worked uh, together with GED Magazine, and now we've got these little posters up and these little table tents up at various places around the community where um, you can basically just take your camera off your phone and turn on your camera and go to either of our three uh, QR codes, and you go right to our website to find the latest information about what's going on. So we use that as kind of the paperless, the touchless way to get to CV Independent, GED Magazine, and Gate Desert Guide. Cool. We all work together to do that. And these posters will be up at various places outside of restaurants and other establishments. Yep, we're just starting to get those out. Um, the My Delivery Driver and the Delivery Driver for GED um, has some right now. Um, we're going to be getting them to the person that does the Gay Desert Guide map delivery here soon. And so you'll start to see them probably next week and moving forward in in, in a place near you if you're going yes. out, which you shouldn't be, but we are. Right. So there you go. Well, <laughs> and, you know, outside of a supermarket, right? I mean, exactly. wherever people are. And, and, you know, there are so many tourists, as we mentioned at the top of the show, so many tourists coming into the marketplace right now. Yes. Um, the, the, the short-term rentals are exploding. Yeah. Some of the hotels are open. A lot still have not reopened. So, but but all those people have needs: groceries, uh, you know, anything like that. And so they yep. will be out and about. And of course, that just uh, extends the risk of uh, the rest of us going out. Frankly, I try to do my shopping uh, outside of the weekends. I try to do it midweek, so I feel like maybe the supermarket has been cleansed by then, and there's not as many people here. I don't know if that's if that helps at all. Who knows? I use Instacart and I uh, answer the door in a, in a, uh, a beekeeping suit. <laughs> and I go at 8 a.m. in the morning as soon as people under 65 are allowed inside the store. Because uh, I know the senior citizens are like hyper cootie free trying to be super safe. And, uh, and not 10 million people have been traipsing through that store since yeah. it was cleaned overnight. And... Uh, I did go out. I have a rogue toenail when I'm in the pool all the time. It goes crazy. So when they opened the Manny Petty place, which has a whole one wall that rolls open, I wore glasses 
and a mask and black gloves and a face shield. And then they have a partition. And I was still shitting my pants. I was so scared to get a pedicure. They were like, can we do manicure? I'm like, too close. No, too close to the upper half. No, no, no. But geez, it's scary. Brad, what do you got going with Gay Desert Guide? So our new newsletter is coming out and, you know, I'm in Sonoma County uh, and this is supposed to be our Gay Wine Week and Weekend. It was the first time that Gary Saperstein was going to be doing a full week of wine tastings and tours and all fun events. So we've had to really curtail that into and, and reimagine it into a virtual event. Now, last night I got to go to a beautiful winery that had just been rebuilt above the hills of Santa Rosa. Santa Rosa's had the fire two years ago that destroyed many wineries, homes, and people died here, um, and they're all coming back. So oh, a little uh, socially distance outside the view of that last night. But Gary wanted to be sure and remind us about a couple of things going on. Um, on Friday, July 17th, 6 p.m., these are all virtual events, and you can find about, out about them on the events page of Gay Desert Guide and in our newsletter. This is called a conversation with black leaders in the wine and hospitality industry called the colors of wine. That's Friday, Saturday at 10 AM. There's a virtual wine tour. Um, and that's exploring the best wines of the region. Uh, unlike what uh, Boucher was doing where you got the little samples. I don't think you get the little samples, but that's okay. We'll make <laughs> do with what we have in the refrigerator. Um, and then on Saturday night, I'll be a part of the virtual twilight tea dance which is usually held literally less than a mile from where I am uh, housed right now at this beautiful winery, Chateau Saint-Jean. And uh, this year, unfortunately, it's going to be done in a studio in Santa Rosa. And uh, there's going to be an at-home dance party Saturday night. Now, this is done because they are raising funds for um, their aid service organization called, I think it's called Face Up. I, I'm, now I'm forgetting the exact name of it. But uh, it, it all goes to their aid service organization. And on Sunday, it's Drag Queen Bingo, Bubbles, and Wine Auction. That's at 10 a.m. Uh, they've got a local drag hostess, Ruby Red Monroe, uh, and that is happening Saturday. So we invite you to participate in Gay Wine Week and Weekend virtually from the comfort of your air-conditioned home in Greater Palm Springs. Well, I'm, I'm coming to you live from a place I like to call Chateau Shit Show. <laughs> pretty much i've got a green screen behind it is a bunch of laundry and clutter oh dear well that well, happened brad and jimmy we're so glad you were here with us today on i love gay palm springs you guys always have great stuff to share thank you so much and we set you free thank you bye Okay, well, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, you met Lauren Nile for the first time. She is an educator, a keynote speaker, the author of Race My Story and Humanity's Bottom Line. And she has been typing up a storm, educating people about race relations and just bringing up the light on what it is that this whole country is working its way through. Please welcome again to us, Lauren Nile. Thank you, Shan. Thank you, John, for having me again. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's ours. So what is on your mind as we, uh, you know, move into a, a new age? Mm, yes, certainly, hopefully a new age in race relations in the United States. That's for sure. Um, there are so many things on my mind, really, John and Shan, I could talk for two days. <laughs> but, um, what I'll concentrate on this morning is one thing in particular, um, and that is uh, one of the daily indignities, one of the many daily indignities that African-Americans and other people of color uh, deal with all the time. And I'm, I'm not being hyperbolic here. It is all the time, literally. Um, and that is the phenomenon of having, and I mentioned this last time I was on the show, I mentioned it in passing as one of the things I want white people to, to not do. Um, so I'll go into a little bit more detail on it this morning. It's trying to relate to uh, an African-American or another person of color as that, as the African-American person or the Hispanic-American person or what have you. So for example, it takes the form of you meeting the person and immediately having them talk about all their, what I call their black stuff, the black neighbor that's in their neighborhood and all of this stuff. And it's exhausting to be objectified that way. 
Now, there's a difference between intent and impact. You know, I learned that first semester criminal law a long time ago. Intent is different from impact. So I can see people do that. They're just trying to connect. You know, they're, they're, there's no malevolence. There's no racism. They're trying to connect. Oh, black person. Oh, well, I have a black neighbor. And, um, and so that's what I want to concentrate on this morning for the, you know, 10 minutes or so that we have, that particular phenomenon. Because in my view, it's that, not more than anything else, but that is certainly one of the main things that makes it so unpleasant for, and I'll just speak for myself as an African-American, to, to deal with many unconscious white people. That's one of, that's one of the things that really gets, gets to people. And one of the reasons why if I have an African-American friend say, you know, I got to take a break. I just can't deal with white folks anymore for a while. It's usually because they've just had one of those kinds of experiences, nine times out of 10. So what I'd like to do is just take a couple of minutes to reverse it, because I think that we learn most when we can walk in another's shoes. Okay. So I'm going to ask everybody who is European American, every white American who's listening to the podcast, to, to the extent that it's possible, I, I know it's difficult, but to the extent that it's possible, try to imagine that the uh, shoe was on the other foot and you lived in a black majority country and that as white people, you were 13% of the population, which is what African-Americans are in the United States, a small minority, 13%. So, so just imagine that you live in a black majority country, everybody who ran the country in, in the government, in corporations, everybody was black and mostly black males at that. So that's, that's the reality. So I'm setting this up. Here you go. So you go out and you meet, you know, I don't know, you know, a black person that somebody introduced you to, or you might have uh, come across on a hiking trail, and they say to you something like, um, oh, there, you know what, there was one white girl in my high school, and she was on the cheerleading squad, and everybody liked her, or um, I have a half-white granddaughter, and she's so cute, and we all just love her. Oh, gosh. Okay. You know, we have um, white neighbors, and um, when they moved in, everybody welcomed them, and they just—they're just a part. They're just regular. It's just a part of the neighborhood. I'm already exhausted. Right? Or, oh, your hair is so nice. How, how do you get it that way? Oh my God! And can I touch it? Or, what's that? Or can I touch it? You know what? I think most people have learned not to do that. That used to be a phenomenon, Shan. Oh my God! I know. That, had, that has happened, that has happened, but I think most people now know, okay, don't go that far. Um, or, oh, you know, on my last job, there was a white girl and we got to be such good friends. I even went to her wedding and the white food, meaning soul food in real life, and the white food was so delicious. Oh my, <laughs> I mean, and just on and on and on. And that happens with so many white people that you meet. Um, you know, when I was younger, I think this is also one of those things that white people have learned not to do anymore because I haven't heard it in years. But when I was younger, in my 20s and 30s, I heard it all the time. Oh, you're so articulate. Uh. Imagine if you were a white person in a black majority country, would that feel like a compliment to you? It's like, because the rest of the sentence is, that's not said, you're so articulate for a white person. Right. Um, you know, I, I just want white people to stop that. Just stop it. A good friend of mine um, who is a diversity trainer and a, a really, really one of my dearest friends I've known for 31 years now, um, he's, a, he's a European American male. And uh, he said, you know, I was hiking up in Oregon where he lives and a, a, an Asian couple came up toward me and, and immediately I thought, well, they're Japanese. I don't know why I thought that, but I said, konnichiwa. I was trying to impress them with the fact that I knew how to speak Japanese. And then we started a conversation. And as we started talking, what I learned is that they were actually, and these were, he said, these were senior citizens, probably in their late 80s, early 90s. Wow. He said, what I learned is that they were actually um, Koreans. And they were of the generation that felt that extreme and experienced the extreme discrimination against Koreans by Japanese. He said, oh, my God, I felt so awful when I did that because here I am talking to them in the language of their oppressors. And so he said, what I learned from that is that 
racial displays, because he said that's what that was. I was trying to impress them that, you know, I know the language. Those kinds of racial displays just don't work. And I, I learned that, you know, if I could just relate to people as people, we were in a beautiful place in this beautiful park filled with these Douglas fir trees. And I, if I could have just said to them, for example, wow, is, isn't this an incredible place? Who knows, maybe we could have become friends, you know? And, and so um, he said, um, I had already been deeply connected to the beauty of the surroundings and I could have connected with this couple on that level rather than on the shallower level. It was a betrayal of myself and it was a betrayal of their, human, of their humanity. What if I had opened up the conversation talking about the wonderful light in the sky? And then he says, you know, I realize that we have to connect at our deepest selves in every moment with every other human being. That'll guide us to true authentic human relationships. And well, so, asking of white people. Go ahead, Shan. I'm sorry, you were breaking up. I didn't. Oh, oh. Um, he was basically saying we should connect at the deepest level at our human hearts, you know. And that when he um, did that to those, uh, you know, older Korean people, he re he realized that he did a disservice to them totally and to their humanity. I'm so, sure. you know, I'm just asking people. One other quick thing. I remember Maya Angelou said years ago. Um, Actually, I think I heard Oprah say that Maya Angelou said. Um, she said, no, the first thing I want you to do when you meet me is to forget that I'm black. And then the second thing I want you to do when you meet me is never forget that I'm black. And I thought about that for years, and I thought, what could she have meant by that? And after some time, I thought, ah, oh, I don't really know because I never had the pleasure of speaking to Dr. Angelou. But I think perhaps what she meant was, listen, when you first meet me, Connect with me as a human being. Connect with me as a human being first. Trying to connect with us to us with all that black stuff is the last thing in the world that a white person should do, just as I would never do it. If I met a white person and I said, well, I had a white boss once and he was really great. I mean, come on. Can you imagine your life with that constant interaction? That that's the way many people reacted to you? Often on a you know on a, on a regular basis, can you imagine what you're like? As you said, John, you were already tired after I'd gone through three of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we're never going to forget it. it. It's a great lesson, and we want to thank you for being on the I Love Gay Palm Springs podcast, Lauren Nile. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. So, as you can see, we have two new people invited to the party. Terry Ray, I've known for a long time, and he is a bunch of fun and games in every way. And Hugh Heisel is actually helping the Gay Desert Guide with a department called Fun and Games. He is the owner of the Men Event. He's an award-winning Broadway marketer. I didn't even know there was an award for that. A Tony Award-winning Broadway producer, which is quite a claim to fame. And a fun fact, he's a performer who last season appeared in The Blacklist and Saturday Night Live. I'm going to want to know about all of that. Terry Ray feels sure and ready to join in whatever you want, but I'm going to Start with you. Tell us a little something about you. Uh, well, about me, I'm uh, based in New York City, uh, but I love Palm Springs and Palm Desert. Uh, I appeared at the Bob Hope uh, Performance Arts Center um, a while ago, uh, and I love that whole area. I was there on a national tour of uh, Million Dollar Quartet not too while ago at a, at a casino um, in that area. Okay, that explains why you were doing so good at Name That Tune. I mean, you knew, you were humming clues. Okay, I yeah, get it. Me and the 50s rock and roll were, had spent many years together on, on those tours and on that show. Um, well, I founded the Men event in 2004 as a request from the Times Square Alliance because nothing gay was left in Times Square. And I was doing all of these gay promotions for my Broadway clients because, you know, the, the gays love the Broadway. I uh, <laughs> didn't know if you knew that. Um, so, uh, they asked me to start something for Times Square because there was nothing left there. Um, and they didn't, they felt that, that the gay couldn't leave the recipe. So I, uh, I took a couple of weeks and came up with our first event and I launched the Men event. And the first event was uh, a roving cocktail party called Cocktails on the Go-Go, where we went to a different straight place every month and kind of took it over. Sure. Um, and that began my list and began other events, and I've now produced over 2,000 events. Wow. Uh, yeah. The gay and lesbian community in and around New York. Yeah. Bing, 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 bing. Um, yeah. 
And so what do you do now, Hugh? I mean, you can't rove. And, no. you know, so how do you how do you have fun in games and make it inclusive and, and have that interactive fun with people in the comfort of their very own homes, but also make oh. it feel connected? Yeah, well, we had to turn on a dime and, and try to create um, a series of fun interactive events that could land within the Zoom world, but also be ways for people to connect. Because I think that's what uh, people are missing a lot, particularly if they're not quarantined with somebody else. Uh, it can be a very yeah. lonely experience. Yeah. So what I've tried to create are events that always include um, a social aspect. We always have uh, somewhere within the event, there's conversation and everybody shares and we get to learn about what's going on. And it's a lot of fun and, and, and we joke around a lot. Um, and a lot of people tell me it's, it's really the highlight of their day when they're stuck alone and they're done with their they've had enough Netflix uh, for the day uh, that they actually can interact with somebody um, in a fun way and, and meet new people and, and see old friends and uh, play games or uh, we have dinner parties where everybody <laughs> makes their own dish when they show up what they have. Um, we have movie nights using the Netflix party feature where we can comment and have live commentary on any number of, of movies as we go along. Um, and then we also have ways uh, to learn a lot because we don't have, um, uh, we, we, we can't go anywhere, but we can certainly meet people who know a lot about really interesting things and go to them. So we've had um, every Sunday at, uh, at 11 a.m. Pacific Earth. time, we have a gay learning series where we queer our way through uh, via Zoom through the queer culture. Um, and some recent events we've had is the Gay Secrets of the Met Museum, a queer tour of MoMA. Um, well, and I just sat in on the Gay Gods and, uh, what was it? Gay Gods and Heroes from gay Greek gods and- Gay Gods and Heroes of Ancient Greece and Rome. Greece and Rome. And I showed up for the 90 minute tour of Greenwich Village and its history, which was super interesting. I mean, You've got some pretty cool stuff going on that learning Sunday. It's 11 o'clock our time and then two o'clock, you know, obviously New York yeah. time. And we're, we're lucky enough to have the, the my, my buddy who curates that is the world expert in homoerotic gay yeah. uh, pottery of Greek and Roman times. So he can find all of the phallic symbols that you've ever knew. Never some did. nice handles in those pottery. I am Oh my gosh, I can't tell you. He did like 25 minutes on one pot and there were like a thousand penises and sub stories Ooh. and subscript on the subscript why the older man has a beard and the younger man has no beard and he's got his arm around him. The old guy has given him a rooster so he can have his way with him, but the old guy has grabbed him so aggressively the young guy has dropped the rooster. Seriously, I learned a lot. Wow. And can you ask questions in the middle of th this process? Yeah. So you're in there. It's like you're, it's not a sit back and. Exactly. You're, uh, you're interacting. So you can post questions in chat. Yeah. And then there's always a co-host who, who asks them. And sometimes they go live with everybody. Um, yep. But this, this guy is so. Uh, Andrew awesome. Lear, Professor Andrew Lear from. Uh, he currently teaches uh, in Boston, but he also runs uh, a company called Oscar Wilde Tours, which used to yeah. go around the world with these yeah. kind of informational tours. Uh, but he has connected with all of the other experts in the world of queer culture. Um, and we've developed this whole series of, of Sunday learning opportunities. Um, like coming up, we have a we have queer cemetery tours. Uh, the first one's going to be in Paris. Oh my Go to the grave sites of like Oscar Wilde. Um, then we have. Uh, they don't have phallic tombstones, do they? They shouldn't uh, do I haven't seen one. Good, good. An obelisk, I guess. I don't know. It could be the, but the cool <laughs> thing about the Oscar Wilde gravestone is that everybody kisses it. So there's all of these lipstick kisses all over yeah. it. You know, it's not necessarily healthy for COVID. Not right now. No. <laughs> Hopefully they use the sanitizer. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but we also have uh, the gay grave tour of the Brooklyn uh, Cemetery, which has a lot of, uh, like Leonard Bernstein is there, Fred Ebb. There's a lot of cool history there. Um, we have an upcoming tour of the Britain's queer stately homes, um, a tour of Homo Harlem, a queer tour of the Whitney Museum. Um, yeah. Uh, and they're 10 bucks. It's, it's, it's 10 bucks. It's That's 10 bucks. Awesome. It's amazing. We'll okay, be selling those. That's, we'll be edu selling. That's educational, but 
I want to, I want to, I want to win the trivia contest. I want to prove my name that tune chops and, and beat everybody. So we have a lot of games that, uh, that we've been running and uh, we started off uh, pairing up with um, the gay desert guide and we're going to be helping to run some uh, uh, games specifically for you guys. Um, trivia nights uh, where we play three to four games of trivia and it's a lot of fun and sometimes you know there's yeah. simple trivia like you know Disney princesses and sometimes we can get like, really into history and world culture culture and, and gay history um, we have uh, at-home scavenger hunts which I love so everything you have that could win is right within your own home wow. but to see people like leap for the cheese grater so I did get to host one of those scavenger hunts. And I mean, you were running it and I was just hanging out, sort of writing the weird shit, writing the list of shit you had to find was fun. And, you know, alone with the little joint, writing my list of strange things. And, but watching people, and I have to say, one of my friends is Pat, Auntie Pat, we call her, but she's 76 years old and she struggles with everything on the internet and there were a few times where we were laughing because it was just a shot of her boob as she walked around looking for something and i kept saying you know from the senior citizens we have auntie pat but she got in the game she figured out how to play it it was she had a blast the scavenger hunt was super fun and then you've got dating speed dating we have speed dating that uh, I've been running in New York since 2009. And we're kind of yeah. like, like, if you Google just gay speed dating, I always come up first just because it's organically there in, in SEO. Yeah. Um, but we're going to start to do that within your market. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of fun because we can use the feature, feature on Zoom called Breakout Rooms. So you can really have a one-on-one -on -one date. It's short. It's about five minutes. Yeah. And then in the course of the evening, you can meet up to eight people. Plus, we have other games that we play, and yeah. there are group dates that we go on. So you really have an opportunity to meet a lot of people that you don't know. And um, here in New York, we've had a lot of love connections. Well, and Terry uh, Ray, you're coming. You're I coming. Go. My first one. They break them up into age groups, so you'll be in the, you know, 50 to careful. 500. What? Careful, careful. Uh-huh. Uh, speaking of the word, uh, the words love connection. Oh, yeah. We remember a guy used to host that. What was his name again? He was an yeah. infectious diseases expert. Yeah. <laughs> doctor, doctor, uh, Doctor Chuck. Doctor Chuck Woolery. Yes. <laughs> what an ass. He was. Chuck was on uh, Twitter, and of course, the president retweeted his uh, his little uh, squib about how everything about the COVID-19 uh, was a lie and all doctors are liars and blah, blah, blah. And then I got on Facebook and Terry Ray had one of Chuck uh, Woolery's most memorable gay moments. And you shared this and I am gonna share it now so that everybody can see, what, what year was this? Terry. Oh God, this is very incriminating. It was 1987. And you had just gotten, graduated from eighth grade. From kindergarten. I had hair. Yeah, yes. A little bit of hair. And um, yeah. And you were on a, a show called Scrabble, hosted by Chuck Woolery, mm -hmm. and had an outrageous was, moment. Yeah, this was voted the third gayest moment in the history of game shows. Yeah. All right, let's, let's watch it together, shall we? And now, back to Scramble and Chuck Woolery. Okay, just scratching my nose there. Listen, I have to admit, I, I did call your name. I did call you That's on okay. that last thing. Well, it's okay because it worked out to where you won. Sometimes, Chuck, I call your name out. And, uh, it, it out. So, but you don't give me the answer when I call it out. That's the difference. Okay. Oh my gosh, Terry, you're hysterical. Then and now, you are hysterical. Oh, I was just so excited to win money. I was absolutely destitute. So any, every, I just, ugh, didn't care what I said. And How I didn't realize I doubted myself. I really didn't. I mean, I, <laughs> I was so gay on that show. I'm, I, I mean, literally, I was named the third gayest thing. It's like after Charles Nelson Riley and Paul Lind. I, I mean, wow. But not, not just oh. that. I, there was like four days of that. That's the, you're you're on like the Mount Rushmore of gay, um, yeah. game need, show moments. You need to make a compilation. 
there are, there are a bunch <laughs> of clips from that because there's four days of it. I mean, I got one time I took over the his doing did a commercial and I took it over and uh, oh I, I threatened to hug him if I didn't win and uh, you know I just <laughs> ah! crazy. How but, much did you I win? Have to, I have to say I didn't know he he was very at that time I he was very friendly to me. I did not know that he was you know you know Doctor Chuck Woolery at the time, but. <laughs> <laughs> How much did you win? Well, this is 1987, and I won $14,000. And I got so a million dollars. Yeah, I got a pickup truck named Chuck, which I drove with that money. So really? I drove truck really hard for 14 years. You were riding you know? Chuck out on the range. Yeah, I stripped his gears and everything. Yeah, I was rough on Chuck. Oh my uh -huh. god! So while we've got you, he, um, you are the star and the creator of Electricity, which has been evolving and growing and unbelievable i saw it first a couple years ago in a tiny little hotel room with 15 other people and i loved it i've drug a bunch of people and so tell us kind of what's happening with it now okay well it's a play that i wrote it's a two-person gay play and it tells it goes over four decades and it tells tells really everybody's universal story of going from there's something wrong with me from being gay to i demand equality and at the same time it's a love story and it's a comedy and but um, it just keeps going, and so uh, it's it's been become the longest running play in Palm Springs uh, by doing it in a hotel room immersively because the whole play takes place in a hotel room, and then also um, we started doing it at Oscars on stage, and we've done it in Minneapolis, and we won Best Out of Town Production alongside Hamilton, and yes. Hugh, we're coming to New York. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we've been there eight, seven or eight times with backers and producers, and so we're going to go off Broadway with this show. So Mr. Broadway, I need connections with you. All um, right, we'll have you two connect for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. But and we were gonna live stream it and we are gonna live stream it. And we've been rehearsing to live stream it starting tonight uh, with nine camera shots and really trying to do it right and really rehearsing it. But then two days ago, one of our cast members uh, was exposed to COVID. So mm. to get everybody safe, we're, we're pausing to make sure everybody's tested and everybody has the results. So we will be back, but okay. it's just a temporary pause, at which we know we're trying to do the right thing and make sure everybody's safe. But um, yeah, that so sucks, but gonna, it's good. So if everybody wants to try and keep tabs and see when it will be streaming, where yes. do they look for you? Electricitytheplay.com. Easy as that. And also, yeah. you've got a, a series that you've uh, been doing for quite a while that you created, and it uh, stars uh, Lonnie Anderson, who is getting some uh, some attention in the Emmy nomination voting. Yes. If anybody's an Academy yes. member, Please. it's called My Sister is So Gay. And uh, if you're in the Academy, vote uh, for uh, Lonnie to, uh, to get a nomination. Did, we just did a new social distancing episode. I don't know if you guys have seen that or not, but oh. we did it on Zoom with Lonnie and me and uh, the, the girl who plays my sister and my partner in this, Wendy Michaels. And so it's really fun. Lonnie is amazing. She's amazing. And plus we have Deborah Wilson from, you know, oh. does the Oprah Winfrey and and uh, Whitney and stuff. And Ray Dong Chong. It's I got a cast. You yes, always you have. Do. Yeah, you've always got. Also, you, I don't know if you have continued to do your therapy series. I'm doing TV therapy where I, oh uh, on, on, on um, Zoom, I, I have a different therapy session with a different classic television character. The character uh, now in therapy Sissy? portrayed by the original actor. Like I, I have a therapy session with Eddie Monster from The Monsters and Tabitha. Which Patrick? But it's the real actor now yeah. having issues with having been on that show. No, 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 the they're character. not playing themselves. They're, 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 no, no. they're characters, yeah. Yeah, I understand, yeah. 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 Nice. So I'm doing that. I'm, my next one up is Jerry Jewell from Facts of Life, Cousin oh, Jerry. Oh, yes. Oh, fun. I remember Jerry, yeah. She's funny, too. Yeah, she is so funny. Great. Didn't you do the character Tabitha, who, like, was yeah. going through therapy because suddenly her dad was somebody different, and she never, like, <laughs> nobody told Nobody said anything about it, but it's like her dad was one person, and he was somebody else, and same thing with her next-door neighbor, and her dad, yeah. and her husband, her, her boss's, dad's boss's wife. I mean, this, people kept changing, and, and she, you know, she has issues. People yeah. have issues. Eddie Munster has issues. And then I also did the guy, the, the, the kids from uh, uh, Land of the Lost, Wesley Urin and, and, and Kathy Coleman. Because yeah. they have issues. They were with dinosaurs and, and yeah. sleaze hacks and stuff. That's, that's, that's traumatizing. Sleaze hacks. Got to work through all that. <laughs> You're fabulous. I love it. And I'm also doing a Zoom anthology of short films that are we're doing on Zoom. I'm trying to, like, you know, do the crap out of this social distancing creating things. 
you have you've been very busy and yeah, uh I it, have been. I, I it actually it. pisses me off because <laughs> i've basically been watching tv and you when know putting on the covid together, mister, we are going to do something together yes we will it'll be great terry ray thank you for giving us a little laugh uh, actually a big laugh yeah. And uh, your YouTube channel has many more clips from that uh, yeah. very profitable visit with Chuck Woolery. <laughs> well, and Hugh Heisel, uh, we're going to start teaming up with the Men event, which you can find for all kinds of New York events and education. You don't have to be there to be part of it. Um, and then we'll be doing eight, I will be hosting eight episodes in August, four game shows, two, two trivia nights, a game night a scavenger hunt, and four different kinds of speed dating all through the men event. You can find it at gaydesertguide.com or I Love Gay Palm Springs. Every Tuesday is a game night in August, and every Saturday is a dating night in August. How cool. Well, thank you all for being a part of the podcast number 54. Next week will be 55. Double nickels. You can be eligible for all kinds of discounts. Yes. And thank you... uh, Thanks, Terry. Thank you, Hugh. Shan, of course, as always, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for playing with us and enjoying I Love Gay Palm Springs. Thanks for listening to the I Love Gay Palm Springs podcast. Like us on Facebook at I Love Gay Palm Springs and on the homepage of GayDesertGuide.com.